Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Monday. Good to have you back for another great show. We've got two amazing guests today. We're going to be talking first about the state of Joe Biden's leadership on the world stage, focused on the two very important questions, by the way, that have dominated or directed American foreign policy for decades. Can Joe Biden define the American interest in each of his policy objectives? And two, can he get others to follow him? Or is he always following in behind? A lot of people, including Politico and The Hill, have written very tough stories about the president in the last couple of days saying he's not leading. He's not exercising the powers of the president. He's acting like a candidate who doesn't have any control over the destiny of the country. That's not what the commander in chief is empowered to be. So first up, one of the really great foreign policy thinkers, he's at the Quincy Institute. He is Trita Parsi, knows a lot about Iran. That's what he's most famous for. But he really is a strategic foreign policy, national security thinker, extraordinaire. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this because just in the last 24 hours, the president has been embarrassed again on the world stage with his Latin America summit, people backing out, including the Mexican president, our neighbor to the south. That's never happened to an American president before. And it's very much like the episode in February when they had the first China summit back in February 2021. The Chinese embarrassed Tony Blinken on the world stage. This process keeps going on. It's like uh, Groundhog Day, the movie. The president continues to drop the ball on foreign policy, constantly being prodded. Other leaders went to Ukraine early. He didn't to show support. He was slow to get some of the weaponry and support so much so that Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, had to call him out. Trita Parsi is going to explain how did we get this way? What can Joe Biden do to fix it? And what does it mean for the world when the American president is leading from behind and failing to identify the objectives that Americans are trying to achieve with each of its foreign policy and national security goals, policies, plans. And then second up, we've got our good friend, Philip Patrick from Birch Gold. This man had every aspect of the economic downturn lined up months ago. He was telling people on this show, five, six dollar gas, inflation out of way, Fed would have to admit it was wrong on inflation. All of those things have happened. Now, that's bad news that they happened. It's good news that Philip Patrick was right when the Fed and the Joe Biden Treasury Secretary and others were wrong. Boy, Janet Yellen late last week said, I don't know how I missed this stubborn inflation. Well, the answer is 
you didn't miss it. It was there all along. You just refused to acknowledge it because you were trying to clear the way for more federal spending. I think Philip Patrick is going to talk about that today. So two great guests back to back. There's no reason to delay. Let's take a quick commercial break here from our great sponsors, advertisers, and partners, and then come back. First up, Trita Parsi, followed by Philip Patrick, right after this. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash just news. That's tnusa.com slash just news. Hey folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free app. I used to listen to all sorts of radio on my AM or FM radio. Today, I don't have time to be in the car that often. You know where I listen? I listen on the iHeartRadio app. It's awesome. And they have some really cool new features, unlike anything else in the market. One of them is called Talk Back Mic. Anytime I have something to say, I tap the mic and send my voice message and then listen to hear my voice on one of my favorite shows. Isn't that cool? You can send a message to your favorite disc jockey, your favorite podcast show host. So be sure to download the iHeart app radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeart radio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeart radio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeart radio app. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Always glad to have this next guest on, one of the great foreign policy thinkers in our time. Uh, joining us, the Executive Vice President of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, Trita Parsi. Trita, great to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. There is so much going on in the world, I don't even know where to start, but I want to take something that's very timely in the last few days. There's been a lot of discussion about it. People are buzzing and trying to understand exactly what it means, but there was... Uh, a kerfuffle over the weekend, over the decision uh, by the Biden administration against inviting Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua to the summit of the Americas. The Mexican president is uh, raising some objections, and there's a lot of doubt about how this summit is going to ultimately uh, roll out. Uh, your thoughts on that entire episode? Well, look, everyone I've spoken to have made it really clear that, you know, this this is uh, this is just a massive mess up. This is not the situation we should be in. But I think it also points to a deeper problem that we have, which is that so much of America's focus is on Europe, understandably, mindful of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia's illegal invasion. So much of the focus is on the Middle East, which I think is less understandable because it's not that strategically important any longer. 
But all of this is coming at the expense of America's intention, uh, attention to its own backyard, which is the Western Hemisphere. Uh, a tremendous amount of neglect, a tremendous reduction of diplomatic presence. We're worried about, you know, whether Russia is going to fill a vacuum if the U.S. takes out 900 soldiers out of Syria. But what's really happening is that the absence of America's involvement diplomatically in Latin America has opened up the floodgates for the Chinese and others to be extremely active with no American counter or uh, uh, any significant presence. And now we're seeing the implications of that. And I, I think it should be a wake-up call because particularly mindful of climate change, what we're going to see happening in Central America and Latin America and the refugee flows that will happen as a result of the change in the climate, it's going to be a far, far greater challenge to the United States uh, than much of what we're seeing happening in the Middle East. Yeah, we really don't have our eye on the ball in, in our own hemisphere. I mean, that's what's amazing about it. This is Talk about something close to home. Uh, it's it's in our backyard, and we don't seem to have the same focal point. Uh, we also seem to be uh, slow to recognize China's role in Africa and taking a lot of our allies and turning them into their allies. Your your thoughts as you look at the the Biden foreign policy paradigm 15 months in are we playing checkers or are we playing chess and diplomacy right now i don't know what we're playing <laughs> that's probably a better checkers, answer yeah yeah checkers might actually be too charitable of uh, an answer um i'm i'm quite frustrated i have to say because um i think we're seeing a very reactionary foreign policy with frames that i frankly don't think are particularly helpful so let me give you an example we have framed the war in Ukraine as, as a battle for the future of the rules-based international order. And right there, with that framing, which may play well here, may well you know, play well in Europe, right. but for the rest of the world, it's not playing well at all because many of the countries in the global south are completely opposed to what Russia is doing in Ukraine. They see it as a violation of international law the violation of another country's territorial integrity. And that framing would have gotten them to be much more sympathetic. But once we call it you know, the future of the rules-based order, many of these countries ask themselves, but hold on. The United States has violated international law extensively, yeah. uh, invaded numerous different countries. What kind of order are we now supposed to be making sacrifices for? Is it the old one in which the United States put itself above international law, invaded numerous countries? Uh, uh, on false pretenses. That's not a particularly inspiring framing for a lot of these different countries. And, and that is a problem because Russia, uh, sorry, India, Brazil, major countries are not on our side when it comes to this issue right now. And it's to a large extent because of how we have framed it. Yeah. And, and I think, again, it shows how the way we are looking at these issues are very much from just our own internal perspective here within the blog in Washington, instead of recognizing that if the United States wants to be a leader in the global community, it has to listen to the global community in order to be able to lead it. And we're not listening enough to understand how other countries are perceiving these things in order to make sure that we can adjust our own message in such a way that it actually will be creating more receptivity for that message outside of the U.S. itself and outside of Europe. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I mean, obviously we're caught in the emotion right now. 
of the Russia-Ukraine war. We don't like to see what's happened to Ukraine. Um, we, uh, we don't like the aggression that Putin has. But I think you and others, I, I even saw Ross do that on the um, New York Times, really dug into this uh, over the weekend. We've sort of over, we, we've made Ukraine a larger issue for the last decade, quite frankly, than it is to our strategic interests. Are our, is some of our um, policies being driven by romanticism rather than strategic necessity? It certainly is not strategic necessity in my view. I don't believe that the future of this century will be determined uh, by this war. It's a horrible war, um, right. it should be opposed. But if we truly believe that the future of democracy is at stake here, well, then it doesn't follow as to why we're then not even willing to consider boots on the ground. Now, let me make it clear. I'm against boots on the ground. I'm against the U.S. getting more involved in this militarily. I think it's a terrible idea. It risks a nuclear war. It makes no sense. But if you are taking the position that this is about the future of democracy and Western civilization, well, then why are you not asking for boots on the ground? It doesn't make any sense. If you're raising the stakes at high, but at the same time are not willing to go forward with what that would then require, then you're not making a convincing case. I think it's a much more convincing case for us to understand that while we have to oppose this, we should be far more active in trying to find a diplomatic solution. Finding that diplomatic solution means, as a first step, to create an atmosphere that is conducive to diplomacy. Right now, we have an atmosphere in which anyone suggesting mediation, anyone suggesting compromise is immediately shot down and vilified and accused of being a Putin hugger. It, it really signals that we're not serious about diplomacy if we're not willing to create that atmosphere. I mean, I felt really bad when the Pope, um, I think about a month or so ago, was sending out feelers and hoping that he potentially could help mediate and put an end to this horrible conflict. And the Pope was ridiculed in some of the pages of Washington's most uh, uh, famous papers. We can't do that on, and on the, at the same time say that we're pushing for diplomacy. If we were pushing for diplomacy, we would change the atmosphere and we would move towards making sure that the suffering ends as quickly as possible and recognize that at the end of the day, Russia has already lost. Its key objectives in Ukraine have been lost. Ukraine is not going to be part of the Russian orbit. But Ukraine most likely will end up having to be neutral in order for it not to get stuck in a war again. Uh, and that does not change the future order of the world. That does not change whether there's rules-based order or not. Um, you know, artificially elevating the stakes that high simply is not helpful because it just drives us in um, a hawkish direction that does not serve our uh, interest. That's one of the things that I think is missing in foreign policy right now is we fail to define the national interest before we get involved in some of these things. We're like flying by the seat of our pants and we haven't defined for the American people, for our allies and for our enemies, which I think is important as well, uh, what our strategic interest is and how we're going to defend it. We seem to have lost that art. I, I, a lot of people say, you know, it seemed to certainly was around for the Reagan years and before that. Um, and some people would argue probably went all the way up to the end of the uh, Clinton years, and then it seems as though we, we, we went in a different direction where the strategic interest was constantly being redefined more for uh, saliency than, than uh, political saliency than actual strategic interest. Are we at a, a tipping point in how we go about uh, exercising soft and hard power in America? Are we, 
Is this an inflection point to say, hey, we need to rethink the entire global map? I think we're well past that point. I'm not really sure how we are exercising soft power these yeah. days. Um, I, I think that's a, it's a key flaw that we have. I mean, our foreign policy has gotten so militarized, so we can increasingly only think of it in military terms. Right. And by that alone, it means that we are undermining a key asset that the U.S. always has had, which is soft power. And again, I think the Ukraine example is a perfect uh, indication of this, in which you actually have a real aggressive um, uh, move by the Russians, which should have made it much easier for the United States to rally the whole world against it, and not just Western Europe and Eastern Europe. Yeah, it's such an amazing dynamic, and it seems to have just spun further and further out of control with most Americans saying, what, what are we doing? Can someone give me an explanation of what we're doing? Uh, let's talk about Iran. Obviously, you've been an advocate of trying to get a deal that would delay uh, uh, nuclear weapons from Iran. Uh, Biden went about a new form of negotiations. Everyone I talk to believes that they're really on life support and that we're really maybe just a few weeks away from it falling apart. Your take on, on what you're seeing and what could have been done versus what has been done on that front. I, I feel your sources are quite correct that this truly is on life support. I think it actually has been for the last three months. Yeah. I wrote a piece back in December of last year saying that an outcome that I saw as likely was that, you know, we would end up in some form of a coma state for the negotiations, meaning the talks essentially have failed, but it's so costly to admit for all sides that it has failed. So we just keep on pretending as if there is a problem. There's something going on. Yeah. I think, you know, for the last three months, we've kind of been in that state. Uh, and I'll, I'll be frank with you, I don't think it's a good state, but I do think it is better than admitting defeat because that will likely then lead to an escalation that will be bad for all sides. So I'm understanding of the fact that despite the fact that there's been no progress, the Biden administration has kind of chosen not to talk about it, not to bring attention to it. Compare that to a couple of months ago in which the message was that, well, you know, if we don't clinch a deal in the next five days, the non-proliferation value of the JCPA is going to be, um, uh, you know, gone or not sufficient enough. I mean, that right. was three months ago. Three months have passed and uh, we're not seeing anything been done. I think the fundamental mistake was committed by the Biden administration very early on in its term, which is, it just didn't go back into the deal. It chose, instead of just doing an executive order on day one or on week one, as it did with Paris, as it did with the WHO, which we just go back in, it decided to negotiate a return. And it decided to take quite some time before it started those negotiations. And it used the initial weeks of the administration to consult with the Saudis, the Emiratis, and the Israelis in the hope that they would be able to come on board. And the end result has been that it just fueled suspicion on all sides. The negotiation, you know, the negotiated approach is now a year and a half into it, and it's so far been inconclusive. And perhaps most importantly, some of the worst escalation by the Iranians in their nuclear program came during Biden's term as a result of Biden choosing to negotiate a return. Because a negotiated return essentially means that Biden would implicitly use Trump's sanctions as leverage against the Iranians. I mean, all of Trump's sanctions that he put on, that Biden 
opposed when he was out of office are still there. Biden is, in essence, continuing Trump's policy. Well, the Iranian conclusion was, well, if there's going to be a negotiated return, Iran needs to have leverage. So they ramped up their nuclear program. And now they're at a point in which they have enough 60% enriched uranium so that they conceivably have only eight and a half days to turn that into 90% enriched uranium, which is weapons-grade uranium. As long as the deal was in place, the Iranians were always one year away from that benchmark, the breakout. Now they're eight and a half days away from that. That's a failure. And the issue is this. For how long can uh, Biden continue Trump's failed maximum pressure strategy without being responsible for its continued failure? It's very easy to blame this on Trump, and Trump deserves a tremendous amount of blame for having got out of the deal in the first place. But it's a year and a half into Biden's term now, and he's continuing that policy. He can't blame Trump for that. Yeah, such a great uh, such a great point. And he seems to blame everyone but his own team. He's blaming Putin one day. But at the end of the day, I think I, I, I forget where I saw it. I think it was a Politico today had an article saying that um, the president is... Um, still running as a campaign uh, candidate and not as president. He's not leveraging those powers that a president uniquely has. And foreign policy is a place where that's really uniquely exposed. I want to ask you about um, the dynamic of there's been several Iranians killed in the last three or four days and what looked like to be targeted killings. What's your thought on what's going on there? A lot of people suspect Israel, but your, your thoughts on this. Now, I mean, the Israelis have essentially admitted to that in the Israeli media, yep. and, and New York Times also reported that they had admitted it to the United States. And it, there's no surprise, because at the end of the day, the countries that would either have the motivation, the capacity, and the risk willingness to do this really is only the United States and Israel. And I actually wouldn't even put the U.S. in it, because right. even though the United States definitely have the capacity um, one could argue the motivation. I don't think the Biden team has the risk willingness to do this. So it really is only Israel that was a potential suspect. Uh, and, and the Israelis have been doing this historically at times, not when the Iranians were on the cusp of a major nuclear breakthrough, but when the Israelis feared that uh, the U.S. and Iran were on the cusp of a uh, diplomatic breakthrough. And it suggests to me that the Israelis are doing this right now because they just want to put the final nail in the coffin of negotiations between the U.S. and Iran. They want the Iranians to lash out, do something uh, escalatory uh, that will put an end to this coma status that we talked about, or at a minimum, shift the debate inside of Iran in such a way that the Iranians just pull out of the talks. Yeah, and it seems as though we're, we're almost at that cusp there. Um, I want to take you just briefly to the U.S.-Saudi relationship, which um, uh, with the Yemen conflict, with the oil prices, it seems as though, again, defining the American interest is ambiguous, and we're sort of on both sides of the fence. Um, uh, first, the Yemen conflict. I know you've always expressed grave concern about the Saudis' Um, war uh, on Yemen. Your your take on that and the Biden administration's policy on it? So a couple of points. First of all, the United States is seeking to see if we can prosecute the Russians for war crimes in Ukraine. Uh, Washington Post just had a big expose with the research done by Columbia University that showed that uh, the Saudis have engaged in thousands of similar 
type of atrocities in Yemen over the course of the last seven years, and those have been done with U.S. assistance. And again, it goes back to the contradiction we talked about earlier on. It's difficult for countries to sign up for, to fight for this rules-based order if that rules-based order for so long has been the U.S. being above the rules. And this is a very blatant case because you have massive amount of war atrocities and war crimes in Yemen that we actually, frankly, bear responsibility for. Biden promised to put an end to this war. His language and rhetoric was very strong in the beginning yes, of the um, uh, presidency and, and during the... But not a lot of action, right? Not a lot of action. A year and a half into it, in my view, he's bending the knee to MBS, the uh, ruler of Saudi Arabia, the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, because none of the things that the Saudis needed to do have been done in order to justify Biden now going over there and shaking his hand. I understand that oil prices are very high, people are hurting, and I think Biden does have a desire to push those prices down, um, not just because of the midterms, but in general because of the state of the American economy, and I find that quite reasonable. However, this has been presented as if this is the victory of realpolitik over idealism, and that uh, rebuffing uh, the Saudis is idealism, but shaking MBS's hand is um, uh, realpolitik. That is not the case. There are going to be many cases in, uh, that a leader has to choose between strategic necessity and values. This is not one of those cases because there were plenty of things that Biden could have done to make sure that the United States was not this reliant upon Saudi Arabia and would not be in a position in which it would have to go to Saudi Arabia to beg for lower oil prices. One of the things that could have been done, that should have been done, was to go back into the Iran nuclear deal. We would have Iranian oil on the market right now. And um, in numbers that are greater than what the Saudis can increase their production right now. So again, it's, it's what we're seeing now is the culmination of a series of massive mistakes by the Biden administration, in my view in which they pursue the, the approach towards Saudi Arabia rhetorically in one way, but in practice, they caved. And, and that caving, which was behind the scenes uh, or, or quiet up until now, is going to be quite public. Uh, it's just, it's just uh, mind-numbing mind to see the dynamic in the world right now. It seems like so much of U.S. leadership is muted, if not reactive, all the time. Um, last place, I want to go to China. I know right now there's a effort uh, after the Tokyo trip to get Korea and others to engage in a larger form of containment to uh, basically take the quad block, uh, the quad uh, initiative that the Trump administration, quite frankly, the Obama administration before them, put into motion. Uh, when you look at the world right now, is China uh, America's greatest challenge? When it comes to being a country that has the economic ability to compete with the United States, outcompete the United States, yes, China clearly has that capacity. Uh, does it have the military capacity? It does not right now. It is definitely rebuilding its armament, but it's not in a position to be able to project power globally. It can do so in its own neighborhood, which is a very different story. I think the biggest problem is that if we fall for the fallacy of thinking that either we have to dominate China or China dominates us, then that brings us into a zero-sum relationship right away. Yep. Me, and and the, the thing we miss then is that actually the things 
that truly are a threat, not just to the United States, but to other countries as well. The thing that has killed more Americans, for instance, than anything else, not terrorism that killed a million Americans in the last two years, it was a pandemic. Yep. And we're going to have even far greater number of deaths and destruction as a result of climate change. Those type of threats are not resolved by increasing the Pentagon budget. There's no military solutions to them. To be able to solve them, we actually need to have a level of human collaboration, including with countries like China and enemies like Russia, than we've ever had before. Otherwise, we will all lose. And while Biden says that climate change is the existential threat, he has not adjusted his policies accordingly. That's a massive mistake. Yeah, there's a there's a huge gap between the Biden candidate rhetoric and the presidential actions. Um, you've really, really done a good job of highlighting that, because I think that's really the essence of this presidency. What he said he was going to do, what he's done are often very different. Um, Trita, how can people follow what you're doing at Quincy? They should go to quincyinst.org or follow us on Twitter at the handle quincyinst. Uh, and see the work that we're doing. We're trying to shift the paradigm of American foreign policy towards one that really does focus on the real threats. And that's not to belittle the challenges that Russia, China, and other states pose, or in nuclear Iran, for instance, but to recognize that we're much better off resolving some of those issues and managing those uh, diplomatically rather than thinking that everything we do needs to be led by the military. Yeah, a compromise has gotten a bad name in, the, in, in American diplomacy the last two decades, and that, that may be to our detriment long-term, Trita. Uh, and also, Trita, we can follow you at, at T. Parsi, right, on Twitter? Correct. T. Parsi at, uh, on Twitter. It is always an honor to have you on the show. Really enjoy your work at Quincy and all the stuff you're doing, and try to get you back on soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll have another interview right after this. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. 
You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Time to dive into that economy. I know no one wants to be thinking about it. It's so depressing to get there, but it's important to know what's on the horizon, what's going on, how to read today's signals so you make good decisions tomorrow. And we have nobody better for helping us do that. He's done it for the last year consistently. Philip Patrick, our good friend from Birch Gold, is joining us again. Philip, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me back, as always. You know, I was thinking the other day, if only Janet Yellen had been listening to you, she wouldn't have had this terrible moment last week. Uh, all of a sudden last week, she said, boy, I just didn't see this long-term inflation coming. I, I just totally missed it. Uh, you didn't miss it. You were calling it before anyone. Uh, your thoughts when you hear her uh, say that, and um, I, I don't even know how to, what to make of it. I mean, look, it's, it's not surprising at this point. It's so clear how wrong she was. I think admitting it was, quite frankly, the only thing she could do. Um, it came on the back, and I think more importantly, she had a meeting with uh, Biden and, of course, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell last Tuesday. And it was out of that meeting that she came out saying, hey, I think you know, we were wrong we, about the path that inflation would take. Now, admitting you have a problem, obviously, is the first step. So, I, you know, it, it's a positive, but it doesn't change a thing about the reality of the situation. And people are feeling it here in the United States. We've got inflation now at 40-year highs. Now, the only interesting thing to come out of that was they said, look, we've now got a plan to tackle this inflation. So that was what came out of this meeting. And that was the interesting part of this. Yeah, no, it really is. What do you read the Fed's um, next steps to be? I mean, obviously, interest rates are going to keep having to go up. That's going to slow the economy down. But uh, what else should we be looking for? Look, uh, <laughs> the plan that they laid out, and this is Biden's plan that he laid out in an op-ed to the Wall Street Journal, it was three-pronged. And on the surface, it read to be a good plan, right? They said, look, let's let the Federal Reserve do their jobs. That was part one. Let's lower cost on essentials. That was part two. And let's reduce the budget deficit. Now, like I said, on the surface, it appears to be a, a workable plan. But as you and I know, the devil's in the details. And as I started getting into it, it you know, it, it was concerning, quite frankly. It doesn't appear to be much of a plan. So first of all, let the feds do their jobs. Listen, we've been doing that right? The Federal Reserve have had free reign to do their job, and literally 50% of their job is price stability. It was this Federal Reserve, or under this Federal Reserve, I should say, that we have had 40-year high inflation, right? It was this Federal Reserve that dismissed it as transitory for almost a year and delayed action. So we've been doing that. It was a bit of a head-scratcher. 
lowering cost on essentials, obviously important. The very concerning part, though, is as you read through that plan and understood how he's planning to do that, it became concerning. One was to improve infrastructure. Again, we're back to spending money on infrastructure as if somehow that's going to lower inflation. He wanted to lower the cost of childcare. He wants to pass clean energy tax credits. All of this is done to lower the cost of essentials, but it all involves massive money spending, which is the most concerning thing about this administration. The final thing was to reduce the budget deficit. Now, when I read this, I thought it was a typo because it's the only part of the plan that really makes sense. Let's bring it back to what he was saying six months ago, right, when he was trying to push through a $3.5 trillion stimulus package telling us that it was going to lower inflation. The question for me is, which one is it? You cannot have it both ways. If we're serious about reducing a deficit, obvious way to do it is to spend less money. My concern, my big concern, is as we read through this plan, it's clear that he's paying lip service to the idea that spending big means big inflation. He understands that his economic policies don't pass the basic reality check. And I think what's happening here is this guy's a political animal. And he's going to say whatever he needs to say to placate people, but at the same time is desperate to push through massive spending packages. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Why is this guy mortgaging our future here for short-term gain? And I think it starts to become clear. The policies are failing. The approval rating is at an all-time low. And there's no dodging this bullet. So I think at this point, the only option is to up the ante, raise the stakes, doubling down on massive spending packages in the hope to get enough dollars into enough hands to buy enough votes for a second time. But, you know, What's happening is we're digging ourselves into a hole that's going to be very difficult are, to get we? out of. Yeah. 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 We're, it's hard to see the light at the bottom of the hole right now because it, it just seems as though the dynamic uh, worsens by the day. As of this morning, according to AAA, at least nine states in the District of Columbia have um, a gas now averaging $5 or more. In LA, it was at $7.87 yeah. average this weekend. $5 gas could be $6 gas at the current rates. Uh, what are the long-term economic impacts when your core energy source is doubling in price? It's difficult. Um, and, and I think gas prices for the foreseeable future are set to rise. Uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, CEO of uh, JP Morgan, came out. He's now saying we need to prepare for a hurricane, right? He said initially our uh, projections were, were, were it would be cloudy. Now we think it's going to be a hurricane coming down the street. He also said he can see oil hitting 150 to $200 a barrel. Yeah. That obviously means much higher gas prices. And as we've mentioned before, high oil prices, high gas prices – bleed into almost every other commodity. Now, the transportation of every commodity becomes more expensive. Production becomes more expensive. So I don't think we have too much of a reprieve from the inflationary pressures we're feeling. The Fed are going to prioritize it. They're going to raise rates, right? But as we've discussed before, I think these nominal raises that are coming, I think we've got two or three half a point raises between now and the end of the year, they're enough to do 
damage to the market. They may temper inflation. They may slow it, but they can't kill it, right? We cannot raise rates enough today to do it. So I think consumers in the United States now have to be prepared for higher prices, at least for the foreseeable future, until we can get a little bit more sanity. We can curb the appetite to spend and really get through this. One of the places where Americans have felt the bite beyond going to the grocery store, going to the gas store, is probably taking a look at their 401k or their pension or their retirement funds, their IRAs. Uh, The stock market's been down about 15, 16% since the beginning of the year. A little rally today, but a a feeling that this is going to be a downward trend towards a bull market at some point. Uh, I'm sorry, bear market at some point. Your your thoughts uh, on the state of the market and what we might see as these economic hurricanes, as as, uh, Jamie Dimon called them, uh, uh, start to manifest themselves. Look, I think it's necessary pain. Like I said, the the number one concern here for this Federal Reserve is inflation, and rightly so, because inflation affects everyone here in the United States. Um, When Jerome Powell, uh, Powell came out in his last FOMC meeting, what he told Americans is, look, Inflation is far, far too high. He essentially said it's, it's the number one priority. And what he said is he said, look, Americans have to expect some pain in order to tackle the issues. Well, what did he mean by pain? I believe he meant recession, right? What he meant was we're going to have to raise rates. And in doing so, we're going to sacrifice, I think, both the stock market and the housing market. But I do think it's necessary. So, you know, most people, Jamie Dimon being the most notable, are predicting recession. I think the further we head into the year, the worse the economic picture gets. But I want to get back to the point that, you know, this is necessary pain. As, as, as hard as it is to hear, we've been deferring this for too long. We've been pumping money through the markets, economic exuberance for 13 years, and it cannot continue, right? The other alternative is much, much worse. And that is that the Federal Reserve back down, that, which I don't think will happen, by the way. They start to lower rates again, quantitative easing gets back in full swing. If that happens, inflation today will be a drop in the bucket. We can expect very, very high levels of inflation here in the United States. So as hard as it is to stomach, recession is the best option in front of us today as I see it. Yeah, that's not, that is not a palatable sound, but it's probably the only true thing. Almost every economist that I've talked to in the last two weeks said it's inevitable. Now, one of the good things is if you take all of the excessive spending out you take uh, inflation, gas prices, if energy prices were to come down because energy production went up, uh, some of the fundamentals of the economy are strong. They're just being suppressed and impacted negatively by policy. Um, if there were a change in power, the, uh, the core economic foundation of the country, you still feel good about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think it's a tough job for who inherits you know, in 2024, it's going to be a tough job. And like I said, ooh, a lot depends on how much we can curb Biden in the midterms, because if this guy gets his way from a spending standpoint, we could have an unsolvable issue by 2024. Right. But I think we'll manage to do that. Uh, and, and look, 
we're not Argentina. The fundamentals of our economy are much stronger. We're still global reserve. We're still the most powerful economy in the world. So, of course, I think the underlying fundamentals are there, but we need to push ourselves on a different trajectory because if we really understand the debt issue, we understand that, like I said before, we're digging a hole that at some point, if we continue down the path, it's going to be very difficult to get out. But the fundamentals of the economy here are in many ways still strong. It's just about steering us down down the right path. Yeah, that really is the key. All right. So you're sitting there and you're like, all right, my, my pension and IRA and, and uh, retirement have gone down 15, 20 percent. I'm nervous about that. Uh, it's getting more expensive at the gas pump, at the food store, another place where pain is becoming more obvious. What is the best posture for someone right now to endure this um, this uh, scenario, which, by the way, is a long way off from being finished? Yeah, um, there's no question. We've got to weather the storm, right? And the problem that we have right now is that you're not getting a reprieve from the traditional asset classes. As you mentioned, stocks down now in, in the teens for the year so far, the bond market down the broad bond market down about 10% for the year so far. The problem is it's almost a double whammy, if you will, right? Because if your assets are decreasing in value and everything around us is increasing in value, you get hit on both sides, right? right? So. For me, it's about finding an asset that is conducive for the climate we're in. And that's where I think precious metals have the advantage today. They are commodities, which means that as the cost of living, as inflation rises over time, they are designed to move to keep pace with it. Usually when we see major downturns in the stock market, safe haven demand peaks and it drives gold and silver up. Don't forget, they doubled within you know a year and a half of the 2008 crash. So I think people need to be looking at our issues and saying, okay, how do I hedge my exposure? And that's where I think precious metals come in. And that's what we do here at Birch Gold Group. If anyone has an IRA or a 401k or just cash in the bank and they want to purchase physical precious metals, we can facilitate that structure either tax deferred or for direct delivery through a cash purchase and it'll allow them to hedge their other exposure. Yeah, until I started partnering with you, I didn't know that that existed as a retirement option. It's so fascinating, liberating to know that you guys have a great 20 page kit that really gets people up to speed. What's the best way for people to quickly start reading up and learn, hey, here's a new arsenal, a new weapon for my arsenal of retirement savings. What's the best way to get up to speed and get that kit in your hands look um i think you can text just news to 989898 um you can come to our website at birchgold.com um and that's what we are here for yeah it's an amazing kit i'll tell you the 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 sophistication at which precious metals can be brought into your retirement strategy particularly in a time like this and you look at the the 20 30 year trend on precious metals it's one of the few things that really has not dropped in value it it keeps its value better than almost any other aspect why is that why why is it that precious gold uh, precious metals have been so remarkably stable in an era where we've had a lot of fluctuations it's just 
their nature, right? And in particular, gold. Gold is a is a wealth preserver, right? Yeah. It, it's an asset that is designed to hold buying power. I tell people in biblical times, an ounce of gold bought somebody four hundred loaves of bread. Today, an ounce of gold buys four hundred loaves of bread. So people need to understand, <laughs> gold's buying power holds. What fluctuates every day is the dollar, right? Yeah. So as the dollar gets weaker, gold goes up because you need more weaker dollars to buy gold, right? So gold is a store of value and it always has been. And that's why central governments use it to support balance sheets uh, and individuals can do the same thing. Yes, such an important dynamic and uh, for people to remember and to get educated on. Folks, this is a great thing. It's a no obligation info kit. You can learn just how to incorporate gold into your retirement strategies, particularly in a time when all of your other levers are not letting you down right now. You look at your performance in the last year, it's got to be pretty depressing looking at the market uh, performance. So gold is a place to go. All you got to do, text the word Just News to 989898 and you will be up and running with a lot of information. That's the best way to arm yourself. Philip, always an honor to have you on. You've been ahead of the curveball. Like I said, I think uh, Janet Yellen should be paying more attention to you because you had this one right long before she had this one right. And uh, it's always been an honor to have you on the show. It's always an honor to be on. Thank you, John. All right. We'll talk to you real soon. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean, L-E-A-N.com. 
Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. So glad you can join us today. So excited to have the opportunity to talk foreign policy and economics in the same show. Both of those are affecting American interests worldwide. You know it when you go to the gas pump. We're now nine states in the District of Columbia now have an average gas price of five. And California just slipped into today, this morning, $6 a gallon average gasoline. Oh, my God. If you want to know what the left wants to do to the rest of the country, look at California. It is the lab for most of the progressive policies. And you know what $6 gas means. You're cutting your budget somewhere else so you can take the kids to school in your car. All right, before we go, I want to mention, as always, a great offer that we had today. I want to reinforce what Philip Patrick said. If you were impressed to hear that there is a way to insulate your 401k and your IRA retirement investments with precious metals and gold, and you want to learn how to do that. I didn't know that existed until I became partners with Birch Gold. Well, Philip Patrick has a very simple way to do it. All you do is text the word Just News to 989898. One more time. Just News to 989898 and get your free no obligation info kit. It'll tell you everything you need to know to make the transition to inserting gold into your IRA and 401k qualified plans. I learned about it. It opened my eyes. It's changed my entire investment thinking as it relates to retirement. And it will you as well. If you just take the chance, go do it today. Just text the words Just News to 989898 to get started. You heard what Philip Patrick said, a lot of wisdom. And he's been right about every aspect of the economic downturn. And what is he saying now? Recession, the big R word. He's predicting that is really the only self-course correction available to America right now. You heard that today. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Salomon Report. So glad you can join us. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Thanks for tuning in and being part of our family. See you tomorrow. Have a good night. God bless you. God bless this great country. Can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 245 Five six thousand. That's one eight hundred two four five six thousand. Or visit taxnetworkusa.com/slash/victor. Taxnetworkusa.com/slash/victor. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. 
the studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider.